please take out your Bibles and turn with me uh, to the Gospel of John, the third chapter. Uh, it's on page 979, I believe, in the uh, Pew Bible. And um, this morning, I, I really want what the Lord has laid on my heart to say to be heard. And, and you know that, that sometimes I can become a little um, demonstrative and um, over the top, maybe a little, in my presentation of what God has said. And so this morning, I'm going to do my best to confine myself to this chair. And I make no promises, okay? But I really want us to hear what God's Word says to us about a, a message that I've entitled, The Must of a Servant. And what John says there, what John the Baptist is, is recorded as saying in John's gospel, and, and, and literally this is a principle that ought to govern every single aspect of our life. It ought to govern the way that we relate to one another. It ought to govern the way we work. It ought to govern the way we play. It ought to govern our hobbies. It ought to govern the very core, the way we worship, the way we give, the way we engage in, in church. Whatever church that we're a part of, this is a principle that ought to speak to the very spiritual core of who we are. And, and so this morning, my prayer for us, wherever you are in your walk of faith, wherever you are in your relationship to Christ, my prayer for us today is, is that we would allow this verse to speak to our hearts, to challenge us. And, and, and my prayer really has been that as, as God speaks to you and as he speaks to me, okay, and, and please hear me today. There, you know, there, there are things that God is teaching me every single day, but as God speaks to us, that as we go through this study, that we would understand what it means as a believer for us to have this principle as the, the, the foundation of everything that we do. And, and there are some of you here this morning, and the honest truth is, maybe you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. You know about him, and, and you like what you know, but the truth is you need a life-changing, life-giving, life-altering relationship to Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to work through this verse and, and, um, and, and let God's Word speak. If you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read in uh, John uh, up through verse 27 for context. John responded, no one can receive a single thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. What's this mean? What's the, there are three things. We're going to take this one verse, John 3.30, and the words of John the Baptist that John records and apply them to our lives, some things that, that must be a part of who we are. And, and the first thing that, that John says here is that we need to center in on the right focus. Look at John 3.30. Uh, if you mark or underline your Bibles, I want you to circle this word, he. Should be capital letters in your Bible, he. John is saying that you and I need to center on the right focus. John's whole ministry has been a ministry of pointing to Jesus Christ as the light. 
John has had success. I mean, if he were a, a pastor in, in a church today, everybody would say that John was a successful pastor. He has converts. He has people who are following Jesus. He has people that are coming to him daily and being baptized. I mean, his ministry is expanding. Uh, the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, they're concerned about what John the Baptist has done. They've gone out and said, hey, who are you? What are you doing? And John even, you know, he even kind of criticizes them for what they're doing. So John is this person who's having success, but the whole purpose of his ministry has not been to say, I am the light but to point to Jesus Christ who alone is the light. And, and what he says, those verses that we read for context is, my role, John the Baptist says, my role is that of the best man. And the best man's role is to get the bride and the groom together. And once the bride and the groom are together, the best man's role is done. I mean, the wedding has taken place and, and he no longer has a role. And he says, because that was my role and because the bridegroom Christ is here and he is here to establish and be for his church. My role's complete. And because my role's complete, my joy is complete. And, and so what John the Baptist is trying to say and should be the principle of your life and my life as a child of God is this. Christ absolutely must be one and only the absolute focus of everything that we do, period. If, if it's not about him and what he wants, and how he wants to use us. If it's about anything other than the person of Christ, if you and I get so consumed with ourselves and our desires and our wants that those things become the driving force rather than what God wants for us, if that happens, if you and I can't or won't find a way to give Christ preeminence and, and utmost importance and, 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 and the, the absoluteness of our life, no matter what's going around, on around us, in any area, in the way we worship, uh, in, in how we give, in how we do our hobbies, uh, in, in the priority and the place that our hobbies have in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our parenting, in, in our jobs. If, if Christ is not preeminent, if he isn't the supreme in all those areas, no matter what's going on around us, then I would say that you and I have become like the church in Revelation, in uh, uh, Revelation 2, the church at Ephesus where, where Jesus Christ himself said, you've lost your first love. If Christ is not our first love, then somehow we are missing what God wants for us. If Christ doesn't consume us, then we're off base. And that's got to be the thing that governs us. Uh, Eric uh, Metaxas, he wrote an extensive, expansive biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was one of the leaders of, of the Reformation in Germany, Nazi Germany, in fact, and he was martyred for his faith. And Bonhoeffer said, and, and Metaxas quotes the, the words of Bonhoeffer in his concern about the German church or the Christian church in Germany under Nazi Germany, he said this, he felt that what was especially missing from the life of Christians in Germany was the day-to-day -day reality of dying to self of following Christ in every course of one's life, of being in Christ every moment, in every part. Christ is and must be the Lord, and the ongoing struggle of lordship is the challenge of life for every single believer. What I tell you is this. We struggle to let Christ be Lord. It's nothing new. It's something that's been going on since the beginning of time. 
And, and there were people in Jesus' day who said, Lord. And Jesus said this. He said, there are going to be people who come to me. Read Matthew 24 somewhere. There are going to be people who come to me at the last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And he's going to say, I don't know who you are. So you and I have to learn to center on the right focus. It's about him. He must increase. Now, the, the second passage or the second part of this verse that I want us to look at is actually the third part. Uh, John the Baptist says, he must, and then he uses this phrase, increase, and I, and all of our English translations stick the word must in there again. It says, he must increase, and I must decrease. Actually, the Greek says, he must increase, I decrease. And, and so not only do we need to center on the right focus, but we need to center on the right priority. John was, was forced into a competition. Anybody think that there are competitions today between churches? If you don't think there are, go to a meeting with a bunch of pastors. Okay? And, and the first thing that we will do is we'll start saying, well, how many do you have, Sunday? Well, good. There's a competition, okay? And, and the reality is there's not a competition. We, we can't figure this out because we make everything a competition, and I am probably one of the most competitive people I know, right, outside of my wife. You know, we were playing cards through the weekend. You know, we just had some time, and so, you know, no kids. Everybody's out of the house, and so we like to play gin rummy. And I'm gin crummy, okay? I'm, I'm not any good, all right? I, but I was, I was destroying her, okay? We, we played a 500. I was up 369, no, no, 449, 449. One hand away from winning. Friday at lunch. Go home at lunch. I'm one hand away from winning. 4.49 to like 1.13. I mean, I am just wiping the floor with her. And she says, we'll continue this tonight. Why did I stop? Most remarkable comeback in the history of Jen Rummy. <laughs> I didn't win another hand. I was just like, you know, what, you know. anyway, we, we have this competition. That's exactly where John is. John's disciples come to him, and he said, they say to him, Lord, man, John, do you not understand? Everyone is flocking to him. Everybody is going to this guy named Jesus. Do you not understand? And they had actually, John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, had actually got in an argument with Jesus' disciples over purification. And that's the whole context of what John says. There's this competition, and, and John doesn't want it. He doesn't want to engage in it, but, but he kind of gets dragged into it because of who it is. And, and, and what John says is this, my commission is from God, and God gave me a ministry, and I am to keep doing that ministry until God says do something else. And, and there's not a competition here, guys. That's what he was telling his disciples, by necessity, the arrival of Christ meant the decrease and the end of John's ministry. And John's not just using false humility. He's not just, you know, sometimes we go, well, you know, really, it's not me. It's the Lord. Anybody ever said that? Yeah. False humility. That's not what John's doing. John's serious. And what he says is he's got to increase and I decrease. Not my ministry. Not the importance. Not the value. Not any of that. Just because of who he is, it begins to consume us. 
And if Christ is going to assume his rightful place in my heart, that relationship, my relationship to Christ has to become a consuming fire. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 29, for our God is a consuming fire. But here's the deal. The problem with most of us as believers is we get consumed with the doing of our faith, not consumed with the Lord. And the way that I know that we get consumed with the doing of our faith is that we get burned out. And, and we, we retire. And you can retire from the faith at any age. You don't have to be whatever retirement age is to retire from the faith. You can retire from the, age, you can retire from the faith at 20. But it's because we get burned out, our, our doing of the faith begins to consume us. But I would challenge you that when I get this right in my life, that, that the more God consumes me, I don't get used up. It's not consumption to the point that I have nothing left. It's not consumption to my destruction. How do I know that? Well, look at Exodus 3 sometime. In Exodus 3, God issued his call to Moses, and Moses saw the burning bush, and he said, here's a bush that burns and is not destroyed. He said, I think I'm going to go over and take a look at this. I'm going to go over and look at this bush that is burning. It's consumed with fire, but the bush is not destroyed. And, and, and all through that process, we understand who God is. But we can look. Look at David, for example. David, the Bible says, God speaks to David and says, David is a man after my own heart. I have chosen a man after my own heart. But then as we move through the story, we see David retire from the faith. David's gotten burned out being king. And David's not stayed fresh in his relationship to his Lord and to his Savior, to his God. And the Bible says later on that at the time of the year when kings went off to war, David stayed home. David retired. And because David retired from his faith because he was tired and, and because the Lord wasn't Lord, what happened is David sins with Bathsheba. And man, there's a lot of difficulty that takes place in David's life and his family life after that deal it happened with Abraham Abraham before he's Abraham he he is so tired of doing and he's doing some things that God never told him to do he, he, he goes down to Egypt when God didn't say go to Egypt and he tells his wife hey if you're pretty you're pretty hot and these guys are gonna they're gonna you know they might kill me for you so let's just tell them that you're my sister and you kind of are. And see, back then that stuff wasn't messed up, okay? Today that's messed up, all right? But, but let's just lie. And before we get real critical of Abraham, Jacob did the same thing. I mean, every place in Scripture that we see a, 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 a champion for God, whoever it was, men, women, all the way through Scripture, there is at some point in their life where if they are not consumed by who God is, that they step off and they retire. And anytime you retire, problems happen. I was growing up in Sulphur Springs. Uh, I was a sophomore. We got a new head coach, a guy named Don Poe. And Don Poe came in and he changed our program around. But one of the things that Coach Poe would always say, and it's something that stuck with me my, my whole life since then, is this. You never stay the same. 
You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And he would always relate that to our strength. We would lift weights and, man, you might plateau. You might get to a max. Say you were trying to bench 200 pounds and you'd get 200. And then, man, man, for five or six weeks, you might sit there and all you would get 200. You'd try 205 and you couldn't get it. But he would say this. He said, you're not staying the same because your reps, you can do more of your reps. You're getting stronger. You're either getting stronger or weaker. Nobody stays the same. And the same thing is true for our faith life. See, some of us get to a level and we think, man, this is good. I want to just park here. But the reality is when we get comfortable, we stagnate. And when we stagnate, we die. He must increase, I decrease. And the third thing, very quickly, is that word must. John writes words here, Mark, uh, I mean, John writes the words of John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. Three times in this chapter, the word must is used. It's a word that means it is a necessity. This has to happen. This is a non-negotiable. Okay, that, that's literally what it means. What's non-negotiable? He, non-negotiable, must increase. He has to be the consuming person in my life. And I decrease. And if it doesn't happen that way in the believer's life, then, then we're off. We've missed it. And, and three times in this passage, the word must is used. First of all, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in the first part of John chapter 3, and he says, a man must be born again. It's a necessity. It's a non-negotiable. You and I aren't getting into heaven unless you've got a life-changing relationship that's changed you at the very core of who you are. You can't come to church enough. I've said it before. We can take you up there, and, and I, can, I can dunk you until you prune, and then I can tag-team Matt, and he can jump in there and dunk you until you're, you're, you're pruny, and then he can tag-team Josh, and Josh can dump in, jump in there, and then Larry can jump in there, and then Alice can jump in there, and, and you know, Bobby. We'll even let Bobby baptize you, okay? Um, I'm telling you, okay? I, I, we can... We can dunk you until your skin absorbs every bit of water in the baptistry. You're not saved. You can come to church. You can give a tithe. You can, you can study. You can teach a Sunday school lesson. You can even preach and not be saved. I know that because that's who I was until January 19th of 1984 when God really spoke to my heart. A man must be born again. Have you had a relationship that changed your life? Change the way you do everything. Changes at the core. Second thing, second time this word must, Jesus said the Son of Man must be lifted up. See, Jesus had no choice. He did have a choice. He chose to go to the cross for us, but there was no choice if you and I were going to be saved. There's only one way it was going to happen. The blood of bulls and goats couldn't take away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ must be lifted up. That had to happen. It had to take place. Jesus Christ made the choice to let that happen for you and I. And then the third time is here, John says, he must increase. It's a non-negotiable in our lives. Those things have to happen. It's not a choice. It is something that has to take place in the life of every single believer. But here's my, my struggle with where we are. Because I really think that sometimes we get to the point that we don't really care if that's really where we are or not. We watch people walk as, as some of the disciples, we looked at this illustrative, illustratively last week, those disciples who walked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Think about that. Those guys had spent three years of their life with Jesus. We don't know in particular which disciples it was, but they were called the disciples. 
they had spent three years of their life walking and living and eating and breathing and learning from Jesus Christ himself and their life is so consumed with what they think's happened in the crucifixion that Jesus himself walked with them on the way to Emmaus and they don't recognize him. They'll see him because they're so consumed with themselves they miss who he is. And it's not until he breaks the bread and they go, wow! And then they say this, were our hearts not strangely warmed when he taught the scriptures? There's some of us, we get to the point in our lives that this becomes so much a part of just doing church that we're not strangely warmed. We can get strangely warmed about a lot of things. You know, we can. Next Sunday night, whether you like football or not, you're probably going to watch a game. And you probably could care less about the Carolina Panthers or um, the, the Denver Broncos. You may not. Some, somebody around you is going to watch a game. Okay? And you're going to scream. And you're going to holler. And you don't even care. We get excited and warmed about a lot of stuff. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, you get warm. Somebody sits in your pew, you get warm. Okay? But the reality is our hearts aren't getting strangely warm sometimes by the things of the faith. And God says, I want to be that in your life. I want to be that passion. I want to be that thing that consumes you in everything we do. The reality is for a lot of us today, we don't look any different in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions. And the world looks at us and they say, why would we want to be a part of that? You, you're, you're the same as I am. And we go through life attending church. I said this a couple weeks ago. It wasn't original with me, but I thought it was very, very important. Every Sunday there are two groups of people. I would say there are probably three groups of people that come to church. Those who are searching for a relationship with Christ. Those who go to church and those who go to worship. I'm telling you, as your pastor, there's been some days where I just came to church. But it's my prayer now that there's never another day in my life that I come to church. There's never another day in my life that I get up and do whatever it is that I do, but that everything about my life become an act of worship for who Jesus Christ is. And the only thing that's going to determine whether or not you and I go to church or go to worship is how we stand before holy God. See, do you get it? This building, it's just a building. It happens to be the place that we come to worship God. But the choice of worship is my choice. The choice of whether or not I give Christ preeminence is my choice. Do I go to church or do I worship? And, and, and that's where we are. And that's the question we have to ask. Where am I before the Lord? Or some of you here this morning, 
and, and the honest truth is Christ has to be preeminent for you. And, and he's not. You know him. The demons know him. And they shudder. And, and what you need is your life changed. You need to ask Christ to truly be Lord. And, 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 and I know what you're going through. I'm telling you, I stood in a pulpit of a church and preached this very gospel knowing that my heart was far from him. January of 1984, God said, I'm tired of playing games with you. You're either going to get real with me or you're going to get out. And I asked Jesus Christ to be Lord of my life. And God affirmed a call on my life since that time that is real and consumes everything that I do. There's some of us here this morning, and, and, and what it, where we are is we've lost a mandate. We're just going through the motions. And we get warmed about a lot of things, but we don't get warmed about our faith. We don't get warmed about who the Lord is. And we need to ask God to restore. And he does. That's the beautiful part. First John 1, 9, if I confess my sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me, purify me from all unrighteousness. He does. He gives me back the mandate that he is Lord and he is preeminent over all. There's some of us here this morning and it, it really honestly has, has just become stagnant. And I, I'm not talking about blowing snot bubbles, blubbering, crying. I'm not talking about emotion. I'm talking about being His. What we really need to say is, God, would you renew in me a steadfast spirit? There's a book about the Hubble telescope. And the first few pages of the book talk about the fact that this world is magnificent and God's omnipotence is displayed in the book about the Hubble telescope. It's not a Christian book. But it says, goes through and it describes some things and it says the Milky Way or a light year is 100,000 miles, okay? How big a light year is? 100,000 miles. The Milky Way is 6 trillion miles. That's 6 with 17 zeros out beside it. Okay, 6 times 10 to the 17th power. That's how big the Milky Way, our galaxy is. There are 350, I can't even say the number, galaxies. 35 times 10 to the 10th. That's 35 with 10 zeros. That many galaxies the size of the Milky Way in the universe that God created. God is big. And he is powerful. Abraham Lincoln once said, I can see how it would be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. 
but I can't understand how a man can look to the heavens and believe that there is no God. A long time before the Hubble telescope was ever invented, David wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaims the work of his hands in Psalms 19. He's God. There is no other. And he's not auditioning for the job. So is he God to you? And is he Lord? And is he Christ in everything that you do? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning and Father, for where we are. God, for what you, you say to us in your word, what John said as, as the challenge of the life of every believer. He must increase, I decrease. And, and Lord, I pray that that's where we are. I pray for your heart. I pray for your, your love. I, I pray this morning, Lord, there are people here who need a relationship to you. So I pray, Father, that you would speak. God, the Bible tells us that, that no one comes to you. Jesus said, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so, Father, I ask you right now to begin that drawing process for those that are here who need to be saved, who need to call upon the name of the Lord to confess their sin, to believe that by grace they are saved through faith in what Christ did on the cross. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would, you would seal some for heaven, those that you are drawing. Lord, I, I pray for those of us here this morning that maybe we've lost our mandate. Maybe, maybe it's been a while. Our faith is just stagnant. And, and, and what you want to do is, is to walk with us again, to, to join us on our road to Emmaus, wherever that may be. Father, help us to recognize your one and only, only begotten, never to be duplicated Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord of life. God, I pray this morning that you would just have your way in our hearts because you are God and there is no other. And we pray that this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.